This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. That's good. That's that's good because once in a while the audio is shit and I can't figure it out. Are you recording uh straight to straight to Zoom or do you have a separate recorder? Straight to Zoom. Straight to Zoom. So I'll uh I'll give you a little hack here. So this is a, this is a Zoom. I can send you the link to it afterwards. What is but that? That's a there's a device called a Zoom. Yep. So so there's another device. It's a device called a Zoom PodTrack P4. And what it allows you to do is record your audio straight to a um, straight to a, a little mini disc. So you're not so it's not going through the internet. And your voice then will come through oh. way, way way more clear. Um and you should be able to get really perfect audio. So I'll I'll text it to you or I'll I'll email it to you after the the interview. Highly appreciated. Highly appreciated. There's a I was just on a podcast called the Hunter Podcast, H U N T R and they had something like that, but it was not a it wasn't hardware, it was software. So you it would it recorded uh, the audio on my computer. And then when we were done with the interview, I had to hang on the line while it uploaded to their deal. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it's always best if you have something that you can record straight to, it's taken me years to figure that out of like just a shitty internet connection. And then it doesn't come through clear. You have a great conversation, but um, yeah. You're a I podcaster. I am. So I've had a, I've had my own podcast for maybe six years now. Um, I started, uh, just as a, as a surfer, kind of as a kind of, uh, peer journalism, inviting other surfers on having conversations. And then very quickly, as I'm sure you've seen, it's just, a an excuse to have interesting conversations with people who you might not talk to otherwise. So I've, uh, gotten addicted to it and never stopped. Maybe you can tell me how I'm doing. I'm sure you're doing great. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're doing great. Oh, don't blow time. sunshine up my ass now. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing good, I if I have a penchant for it or not. That one that I was just telling you about, I read the comments on that, and they were pretty mixed. about. But that wasn't, I wasn't pocket. I wasn't, I was the guest, not the host. It's just wild how much hate I get thrown at me. Right. Because I consider myself such a nice guy, you know, and I do (laughs) so many good things for so many people and animals and stuff like that. You know, I think of myself as kind of a constructive individual, but boy, boy, I brought a lot of hate on myself. Just hate pouring down. (laughs) <laughs> pouring you know? down from the sky yeah uh i, I guess i heard, it, a, line, it, I heard a line recently which was um it was it said do you have the courage to be disliked and it stuck with me because it's so it's just such a simple line but i feel like it's it's so uh 
just important impactful for like the time that we're in right now because it's so easier to not speak your mind because everyone has access to you and they can who said who said who people. said that I forget where it was oh, that's good some, yeah. some yeah. quote that i saw on the internet but yeah. I, it's my oh, uh, i mean you can you can you can be as disliked as you want to be in the public sphere <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's it's it's easy to be disliked what well, is I'm excited to talk to you, man. Yeah. And I, you, what's, what's psychedelic research department? Oh, the that, psych- that, ladies and gentlemen, see, you could like, I'm picking it up a little bit like a novice podcaster. Wouldn't then stop to say, ladies and gentlemen, that's what Kyle's shirt says, you know? So I have sympathy for my audience. So <laughs> motherfuckers keep that in mind, man. I'm trying here. Keep it in mind. Psychedelic Research Department. This this shirt was given to me um, by someone who works at an organization called MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Believe I, it or it, not, I'm aware. Are you aware? Nice. Because yeah. I just listened to the woman that started that on the Coleman Hughes podcast. Okay. One of my top three favorite podcasts. You know that podcast? I don't know. Con- conversations with with Coleman. Look it up. Young, young, kind of like, I don't know. You wouldn't call him conservative, I don't think. He's a young black podcaster. He's a, he's an intellectual and very, very sharp. And he's a polymath. Like, he was a philosophy major knows a lot about political science he's a musician he's really impressive guy but hey what so isn't it wasn't that started by a woman the organization maps was started by a guy named rick doblin okay who i so had this on my, woman's, my podcast okay she may be part of the organization but for people who don't know maps is doing a lot of work around psychedelic assisted psychotherapy specifically mdma therapy to help soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder as they've seen it they've seen mdma assisted therapy be a really efficacious way to help soldiers move through trauma um specifically because mdma has a unique effect on um serotonin and uh it, it interacts in a really interesting way if, if you want to go down a quick yeah, little uh, yeah of course psychedelic rabbit hole but um what i learned on, on the podcast that i did with rick is that the way trauma manifests in in veterans is that the amygdala which is the fear center of your brain has not essentially decoupled from the incident so let's say you're in some kind of car bomb or or something you're you're experiencing that memory in the present rather than as a past memory and what MDMA does is, is that it essentially floods your brain with serotonin. And at the same time, it ramps up activity in a part of your brain called the hippocampus, which is where you keep memory. So if you have ever been on MDMA, you'll notice that you have incredibly clear memories. And as they do psychedelic assisted therapy sessions, they will 
many times direct the veterans to go back to the instance of trauma. But while they're doing that under the influence of MDMA, they can essentially see the incident from a new perspective that is usually filled with you know love, empathy, understanding. And it essentially moves that event from present tense in the brain to past tense because it's being viewed without activity in the amygdala. So that's essentially how MDMA operates on the brain and why it's so efficacious when coupled with therapy. I had no idea that they had that level of mechanistic mechanistic understanding. I thought it was just like a very phenomenological uh, understanding where like input psychedelic output, better mental health. I didn't know that they had. That's interesting. So the, the woman that I'm talking about that was just on conversations with Coleman, she talked a lot about MAP, but her name is Jeannie Fontana. And I'll just read what Coleman says here. My guest today is Jeannie Fontana. Jeannie is the CEO of the TREAT, the TREAT California Initiative. TREAT is some kind of acronym. TREAT is a statewide initiative that would create a $5 billion funding agency for psychedelic research, uh, which has been proven highly effective for conditions like PTSD and depression. So anyway, yeah, they're trying to get, are you, where's, what state are you in? I'm in California. Oh yeah. They're like right now trying to get a ballot initiative passed. You know about that? Yeah, I know that there are a lot of ballot initiatives on the city levels. I don't know where they are on the state level right now. They've decriminalized psychedelics in various cities in California, Santa Cruz and Oakland being two of them. Santa Cruz is a little town um, right on the border of between Central and Northern California. Um, Redwoods that meet the coast, really great surf community that I grew you, up in. How is there a border between in the state? <laughs> California is for people who who aren't from California. It's essentially three different states. It's Southern California, Central California, and Northern California. And you will very much notice the difference if okay, you okay. But there's not a line. There's not like no, some, no. okay. No, people just. I think people from California feel, especially some like me, I feel the need to. Um, I feel the need to detail which part of it I'm from because it you just get kind of lumped together with uh you know millions and millions of other people. And but they're all they're, they're very it's distinct, like they're very they're, they're distinct, distinct culturally and they're distinct uh from a ecological geological perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've spent absolutely. some time in California. Yeah. I've been around. I uh okay, so anyway. This is a statewide thing. They got to get a million. I remember her saying they got to get a million signatures on the ballot and it would provide a bunch of funding to do clinical trials. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's happening. I think that it's one of the few issues that really isn't gridlocked in our country, actually, because it's so bipartisan and the way that they've. Is it really? I would have thought the right would not like that at all. Well, part of it is that it's it is very much a conversation about freedom, freedom to express different states of consciousness, not have it be illegal. Um, well, yeah, but and, tell Reagan and Nixon that, you know. Right. 
Right. Well, I think that it's part of it too is just that they're leading with soldiers. As that helps. That helps. Who are, who yeah. are benefiting so much from this, and just that the science is so so clear, and and really also so many people have taken psychedelics, mm-hmm. and so many people have had positive or profound experiences on psychedelics. It the issue I think is very personal to a lot of people. Uh, do you, have you tried them? Yeah, I have. Have you tried so MDMA? That's the one you, you is that the one you lick the toad? No, no MDMA. Uh, Which one is that? Uh, licking the t- well. There's um, oh gosh, there's five eight a five meo DMT which comes yeah from DMT. Toad, toad that's venom. the god molecule, right? Yes. DMT. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a big conversation there because you you essentially I. I've never done DMT, but you extract 5-EMO DMT from the Sonoran um, toad. And as a result of the influx in popularity among DMT, the toad is going extinct. So there's a recommendation and, and there's an ability to derive the same molecule essentially synthetically without having a species go extinct. They have the same it. problem with peyote, I th- I'm told. Right, right, and it's one of the, the reasons. The, the problem being again that it's it's being over harvested. Exactly, yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a complex conversation. I think it's one that's interesting and and making a lot of ground of ground in our country right now. Well, um, better living through chemistry. I mean, just yeah, like the more you can syn- synthesize that. People don't realize there's like it's a, a a these are compounds that you can draw the chemical structure of on a blackboard. Right. There's no difference between uh, a molecule that you that you get from nature and one that you synthesize, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I'd be really open to. It. I smoke a, I smoke a little weed once in a while. That doesn't count, though, right? It depends on the dose, man. <laughs> oh, I've smoked it. I've eaten edibles before and thought I was going to die. But, okay, uh, but but <laughs> I don't. Okay, I I just joke around and eat too much and wake up the next day without any kind of anything that's even could be closely described as a profound insight. Is there a weed. reason you haven't tried other psychedelics? Oh, I guess I have tried mushrooms, but they just never seem to do anything to me. Maybe it's because I've been too drunk when I've taken them. It's always been a real party atmosphere, you know? But yeah, I'm open. I would love to try some, like maybe a guided thing where you're with somebody. The difference, it's, it's, it's like going with a hunting guide your first time or not, right? You're, you're oh. going to have a profoundly different experience navigating the psychedelic landscape mm-hmm. with someone who can help lead you through it or not. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's really useful for people, especially I think can, that psychedelics can be really dangerous for people um, in their teens, partly because th- I think the way that they can be useful is they allow new neural pathways in your brain to essentially strike up conversations that w- and 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 have thought patterns 
that would not otherwise be available in a sober state of consciousness. So the the analogy that's often used is that you have these various thought patterns about yourself, about your life, about your beliefs that are neural pathways and they're like they're like grooved ski runs that you're going down every single time. And what psychedelics when taken responsibly can do is essentially allow like a layer of flesh of fresh powder to be layered over the mountain and in the days and weeks after if you're conscious of the kinds of thoughts that you think maybe you have insights about a different way you want to live your life a different habit you want to form it can allow a a state of neuroplasticity for you to shift your perspective and i think that for that reason it's a, it's especially useful for people who are a little bit older and have habits that that they've already formed yeah know, they, like a guy like me where it's just dust on crossed i mean exactly. there's like you're setting your ways <laughs> they're, they're, to get out of here we need, we mean, need to get you out of those grooves are here. deep <laughs> they're too deep man. i'm gonna come out there i'm gonna be a shaman <laughs> oh hey man that's a beautiful analogy that's a beautiful analogy i can i can i can get behind that you know yeah that yeah the promise of it is great you know and smart people are thinking it's got a lot of potential and there's so much anguish so much anguish you know anything and i'm not just talking about now but any but now in particular but anything at any time in human history where you could have something some, some way of dealing better with the human condition that's always a good thing you know absolutely I, yeah so I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out there some california kid named kyle gave me a bunch of mushrooms change the way i see everything oh oh there'd be like six or eight people in my little town that would want to come over and be a part of that <laughs> i think hell maybe i'd start to like hunting influencers yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. You're going to become a hunting influencer. I'm going to I'm going to go out there and give you a heroic dose of mushrooms. You're going to try and get sponsored. <laughs> All of a sudden, there'll be like pictures of me like sitting cross-legged like a shaman behind a de dead deer. Yeah, with a grip and grin. Yeah, grip and grin with your shaman face, <laughs> levitating above the deer. So you're a man of letters too, right? Of letters. What do you mean? You write. I do. I, I'm a, a journalist. Okay. And you write about surfing, some I saw. I write about surfing. I actually got into hunting through journalism as well. Um, so a lot of growing up, you know, in Santa Cruz, um, I was I really had no exposure to to hunting. There is actually pretty good blacktail deer hunting and turkey hunting in the Santa Cruz mountains, which is mm. has really thick redwood groves and, and a lot of nature. Um, mm. But I just wasn't exposed That's to good it. good to hear. Yeah. I was a beach. That. Yeah. And, and there is a, a small um, and diehard group of hunters in Santa Cruz as well. But I grew up surfing. Um, Spearfishing is really big in Santa Cruz. So that was the kind of hunting that was more popular in my town. Um, 
we have really robust kelp forests um, and we have white sea bass that come through. We have a lot of great reef systems. Um, so that was kind of my only exposure to it. And then if people know anything about surfing, Hawaii is the Mecca of surfing. And there's also really incredible hunting uh, in, in Hawaii. And I just by chance had a, had a buddy who's a, a professional surfer. Um, his name is Mark Healy. He, he's also a pretty well-known, he's kind of gotten into hunting in the last few years, but he let me know about a story involving um, land erosion through the wild pig population of Hawaii and how after heavy rains, what would happen is there would be no soil retention as a result of the wild pigs rooting around. And I think that's the, a problem with axis deer in some parts of Hawaii, Hawaii as well. well. Yep, absolutely. So um, he was working with a number of people to to put fencing around these sensitive watersheds so that the pigs would not root around. And and essentially what happens is it it was causing or increasing uh, coral reef bleaching because coral reefs in Hawaii are incredibly important ecosystems um, and they are what's called oligotrophic. So they require clear water and sunlight for the coral to stay alive and and grow. Corals are a living and a living organism that requires sunlight. And as a result of the ungulates rooting around, it would create these soil plumes over the coral and basically put a blanket over the coral and increase bleaching. I had no exposure to hunting, but I thought that was really interesting. And, and Oh, it, man, it is. Shows okay. you how connected everything is. That's kind of the point of the story. So I had, uh, he put me in touch with a guy named Justin Lee on the big Island. Um, Justin offered to take me pig hunting, um, and as well as diving to see the connection between land and sea and, and pigs and coral. And I just fell in love with it. Um, I still consider myself a, a neophyte hunter, but that was how I fell into the hunting community and started spending more time in the mountains since then have, have been lucky enough to spend a lot of time out in Montana and develop a, a community of, of friends out there. Um, oh, so that you really could come and take me on a trip. I could, I, I come out, I, I put in, in Montana every single year. Are you coming out this year? I am. Yes. Where, where? Um, I'm going to go to Bozeman, uh, and I have some friends there. I also have friends uh, out in, in Missoula. Randomly, I was out there a couple of years ago. Um, and I, most people don't know this, but there's really good river surfing in Missoula. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I, I a, watch a that shit all the time. My wife is the county commissioner in Missoula County. Oh, really? Yep. So we go down, like when I'm in town, we'll go have a few drinks and and then uh fuck last time we were there we did something i hadn't done in years and went we went and got an ice cream cone that kind of felt <laughs> a little <laughs> just a little bit dorky but then we took those ice cream cones and went and watched this go ahead and describe it i know exactly no, where you're going sure, fork, fork so, river yep yep so there's a a 
great little community of river surfers who are also badass hunters uh, out of Missoula, really all around Montana. But when the water level gets to a certain a certain level and there's a squeezing in the river, it creates what's no, what's called a wave train where the the river squeezing of the walls will create a standing wave. And there are certain rivers that will consistently break. So well, that uh, one's man-made, the one you're talking about. If it's the one downstream of the Higgins Bridge in Missoula, in downtown Missoula. So there's that one, but there are a few others mm. that, are, that are not man-made. I, I won't blow them up for my okay. friends. Okay. Oh, I, I was unaware. Yep. But I have some some good friends um, who I made out there, made friends with out there. Um, because I was just doing a road trip through Montana and uh, a couple of them reached out. Um, one's named Dylan and he has his own actually surfboard shaping shack, Dylan Snyder um, in Missoula. So he shapes surfboards for all the Missoula crew. Um, and what does that able, mean? He, well, he, he has a surfboard shaping shack. So he's, he's shaping the boards out of Missoula for all of his friends to go ride. Does that mean like boards. making a board? He's making the board from scratch. Okay. He's, he's okay. cut, cutting it. He's sanding it. He's glassing it um, all out of his garage. And mm. uh, you, you'd never know it, but there's a good little uh, little community there. I mm. actually think that we have a mutual friend, a guy named Atlas. Who oh, yeah. I think built your yeah. website, website. Yeah, Atlas is my buddy as well. Oh, Atlas is becoming like a hunt quietly man. Like he's on board. Uh, yeah. And, and he never pass up an opportunity to plug hunters for access. He, our I, was little, the, I was just on the phone with him. He was telling me about a hunters for access. Yeah. Our little program to support the block management por- program, a program that allows that facilitates access to hunting on private land for the public. Go there now and make a donation at huntersforaccess.org. And we're doing, we also do work projects. We got, we're doing like eight work projects out here on various ranches to say thanks for being enrolled in the program. So, yeah, it sounds like a great thing. So, when you, so when you, California sons of bitches come over here, you got someplace to go. Well, we we appreciate it. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that if people knew more about what I do, they wouldn't be so adversarial to me. Like I could be making, I could be making connections out here where I live so that just, I had a place to hunt. I could be doing work projects, banging nails, fixing fence. So I have a place I'm doing work projects so that everybody has a place to hunt and still motherfuckers be hating. Oh, just it's hard to take sometimes, but probably because yeah. I just read some comments on YouTube about myself. You shouldn't do it. I know. You do it. I know. But I know. I'm I getting got- harder though. I'm start. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm getting elephant skin. You're but anyway, so you that's cool. That's cool. Uh, uh, you got a deer tag or elk tag or what do you got? I got a combo tag. Okay. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great too. You know, just to, I think, 
I was surfing and hunting have a lot of parallels that I'm sure we'll we'll get into. Um, And but but I think that one one that it it does not is just learning. I I really had very little knowledge of hunting history, Um, and getting to come to Montana, I, I feel like I was able to fall in with the right people who taught me a bit of the ethics of it and the history of it and the importance of it in in a way that I'm still learning a lot, but I, I feel really lucky that I was able to gain that kind of etiquette early on rather than just going on private property or, you know, doing the the rock star thing and thinking that it's just all about, you know, getting the animal. Um, I feel really grateful to some of my friends in Montana who, you know, made me read Sand County Almanac right when I was getting into it um, and just gave me a bit more of that kind of perspective that, that, you know, you're not just coming into this blind, but there's a long lineage and history and things to know. And I, and I actually do think that that is a parallel between a lot more people getting to getting into surfing and getting into hunting is just before you get into it be able to understand a bit more of the history and perspective and culture that you're entering into. Man, there's so little of that. It's like people get into it and three years later, they're gripping and grinning online and trying to peddle products, you know, but I guess it's fine. That's what, I mean, at, for the community at large, that's fine. That's totally acceptable. But that's what, what I'm railing against is just that, you know, so to me, it's not fine, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I guess there's, here's the thing. It's like, I read Sand County Almanac, but not because I'm a hunter. Really? I guess I just always been curious about the natural world. So I read it, but my journey as a hunter is like, my dad taught me a couple things. He liked to hunt a little bit. And then I just started doing it on my own, you know? And Either, here's the one of two things are true. I learned way more f- from my father and my my his friends and my friends' dads than I think I did, or because I'm not talented, or I'm not good at fig- better. I don't have like a a. a a, a better ability to pick things up on my own than other people or media has made it seem hard and that you need help. I worry that that's about that, that you got all these gurus online, you know, all of these like Randy Newberg, Steve Ornella, Cam Haynes, Hushin, uh, uh, hunting public, et cetera, et cetera. Then like they're laying it out how to do it. And then it, 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 it mentally fucks people into think that if you don't have that skill set, you know, if you don't have all that, how to, from the big names, you don't have a prayer, you know, <laughs> it's just like, do you think there's any truth to that? I think that um I, I think that people can complicate to profit 
I think that companies complicate to profit. Oh, okay, okay. Right? They, that's I, I didn't feel like I asked the question well, but by what you just said, you made me realize you understood it. So thanks. Yeah, no, I, I understand it. I think that just marketing generally um, has a, a goal to push product. So you, you push products by creating the, the perception of a need. And, right, right. Yeah, and that's perception, good. And then if a perception of a need, if you have the perception that you need this piece of gear to do the activity, then you're going to buy the gear. So there's a certain story that I think is being pushed that allows uh, companies to profit. Yeah, and it's uh, more than just the stuff. It's also the how-to. Uh I mean, like p- people are peddling online how-to courses, in-person boot camps, you know? Yeah, I think that that's just the digital age. Um, but I also think that there is a good, you know, without etiquette. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't actually feel um, qualified to comment on the way things should be in hunting because I haven't been part of that world. No, I get that. Yeah. I'm not trying to like, I'm not, they're trying to get you to sit there and go, yeah, bro. Totally. Right. But I can, I I can comment on the surfing world because, you know, I've been surfing since I was eight years old. I, I still surf professionally for Patagonia. I've dedicated a huge amount of my life to chasing waves around the world. And I can tell you that there are, a lot of parallels between hunting and surfing. There's a huge influx in new people to the sport, specifically through the pandemic. Um, I just found, I just looked it up. The rise of surfboard sales during the pandemic was 113%. The rise in new hunters during the pandemic was 25%. Mm. So you have a lot of new people that are trying out these different recreational sports and that's frustrating for people who have dedicated their entire lives to it when it comes to surfing there are you know soft soft like basically foamy surfboards that people will go get it's not supporting any of the local shapers they go crowd the lineups and the same issue applies it's supply and demand kind of determines the 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 enjoyment of the recreation Right. Like you're going out opening weekend hunting, and there's a bunch of ding dongs out there who are scaring all the animals away and, and being unsafe or not, you know, hunting quietly. Um, it's going to be a really frustrating experience for you. Similar with surfing, similarly with surfing, it is, you know, you are out there, you're not trying to catch animals, you're trying to catch waves. And there's only so many waves that are going to come through depending on the swell, depending on the day. And there's a certain hierarchy at a lot of spots due to localism that scares a lot of people out. But without I want you to lay this all out, but I'll just want to, I I, I'm, I'm chomping a bit to, to let you know that I just learned a little bit about this. I think I'm going to air both episodes the same week, but I had another surfer on. So who'd you have, uh, his name is uh, Joey or, or Joseph Childress. Nice. He's in, he's in California as well. You don't know him, or do you? I don't. I don't know him. No. Okay. But, but anyway, yeah. 
Well, I did. Okay. Let me just say this real quick. And then, I, cause this is great what you're doing. I, I also had two ethics podcasts where I had ethicists on and they were like night and day different from one another. And this is important to me enough to me, the effect of crowding on other disciplines outside of hunting mountain climbing is another one. I just heard a little bit of a podcast where this guy was talking about how crowding has really negatively impacted mountain climbing. So it's, it's worth having two of these. And uh, so, um, anyway, but the point was, yeah, I got to learn a little bit about this. So hopefully I ask, keep asking the right questions and don't get into this mode where I'm acting like, where I forget that people might not know what you're talking about. So with this lineup that you you mentioned just real briefly, could you explain that a little bit? Like you can't all go at once, you know, people might not realize that. Yeah. So waves, I'll, I'll be uh, a bit of a, an oceanographer here for a second, but in the same way that hunters are constantly looking at topography to determine which spots are going to be good, um, they're looking at habitat and they're going and they're looking at weather and they're they're essentially using they're they're looking at different spots and every spot kind of has a combination right like a certain temperature a certain rainfall certain time of year that is going to make that spot likely for there to be animals there similarly with surfing you're looking at something called bathymetry which is the bottom contours of the oceans essentially topography underwater is what makes waves break and swells and storms, which form many times halfway around the world, which are weather events for a sustained period of time, create ocean swells that move across the ocean. And then depending on the angle of the swell, the tide, the local wind patterns, that's going to determine the shape of the wave. And surfers get obsessed with this. So it's all about swell angle. Well, is that 182 degree swell or is that a, a 216 degree swell? So swells are constantly hitting reefs at different angles. And that's going to determine the ride. Every wave kind of has its own combination. And, and the better you get at surfing, the more time you dedicate to this, the more you figure out combinations. Like, oh, that spot's really good on a southwest southwest swell and low tide. Um, yeah, Joseph was telling me there's apps that try to figure this stuff out for you. There are apps that try and figure out the the common one in surfing. Is, like, I guess the equivalent of of Onyx is Surfline for surfers. So every wave also has essentially a carrying capacity of surfers. So it's a, it's how many surfers that wave can hold for most of the people to be still having a good time and not totally crowding each other out. Different waves also have different danger levels. Some surfing is can be a very dangerous sport. Many of these waves that you, know, you see in photos of the men and women, you know, in like big barrels, you know, like being covered completely by a wave, but they aren't being touched are surfing over 
maybe three or four feet of water and then it's shallow sharp reef oh. below them oh, so, oh that is terrifying so you there's need also, to get, there's also sea, some sea lion that keeps screwing with people <laughs> that's i think that's the sea otter in santa or Cruz sea otter that, yeah that has gone viral sharks are actually a very there's a low probability of a great white shark or tiger shark i'd be way you. more concerned about scooting over three or feet four and three or four feet of water over coral oh so you the better you get at surfing the better you get at falling you're you're really kind of like learning certain like as the best you the best way i could describe it is like like rolling and trying to stay as flat as possible so, so you don't not, go deep so you're not pencil diving straight into a reef. Yeah. Uh, that's the more expert aspect of surfing, right? Is is it, it's it takes a lot of commitment, paddling really hard, essentially air dropping into a wave and then trying to get inside the wave which is getting barreled and then get spit out of it. Um uh, it's the one of the best feelings in the world and it takes years and years to accomplish and and get good at that now there are then various levels all the way on down to surfing a little one foot wave that you know, your mom could go on all the way up to the waves the size of six-story buildings an hour north of where i live in santa cruz called mavericks so there's a whole I watched the documentary. I watched the documentary on Mavericks right. recently. Yeah. So there's a whole range of surfing. And I think that where people tend to get into trouble is trying to surf waves that they shouldn't be surfing, but don't they don't really have a knowledge that they shouldn't be surfing it. So yes, the ocean is for everyone. Yes, it's a public place. But I think that the, the etiquette that I wish more people knew is that when you are entering into the ocean, you're entering into a completely different ecosystem, and there's a lot happening that you're not seeing. So I think that that is that kind of knowledge and that respect and and really curiosity is is what I ask most of newer surfers. Um, because there's a lot of ego in the sport and where people then get into trouble and where there's conflicts and where there's fights is, is usually when someone does not have the awareness that they need to and are putting themselves or others in danger. Okay. That's all good. I think another ethical consideration is people, if I was a surfer, I, I would be opposed to people promoting surfing. I think that that would be unethical. Well, it's the same, you know, similarly, you know, if you can blow up a spot on social media. Well, and, yeah, but if you're promoting surfing, you're blowing up the whole world of spots. I think that, that well, let's, let's have a conversation about it because what makes me mad is when people post about spots that are not well known and are essentially putting it up as a billboard for the world to see yeah that's just a certain thing and that's a, a thing in hunting too and i i just don't i don't see i can't get my head around the distinction like that people be like 
it's okay to make TV about hunting and make and blow up hunting on Instagram. But as long as you're not telling people a specific spot, I'm like, oh, so you're going to blow up other people's spots? That's okay. Well, the question then is if someone gets interested in hunting like me who who didn't grow up in it what's the best path for me to ethically educate myself to become a hunter that has the best etiquette uh it doesn't require dead and dying animals i can tell you that what do you mean that you should be able to learn how to hunt without looking at grip and grins and kill shots right Right. That makes sense. I mean, what, what, how did, what are you learning from that? Other than if like a cleaning the deer thing, if you want somebody want to do a cleaning the deer thing, but there's very, very little of that. And a lot of, Hey, look at me, um, with my big buck and look at the, the sick ass shot. I just pulled off on this bull. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's essentially the ego that you have a problem with, where it's the uh, well, ego they're all, they're they're all, both of these things in my view are over extremely overcrowded, and it's just a major fuck you to people that do it for the love of it to promote the shit out of it, so that ne- now you go to your wave and they're, you're the thirtieth guy in line or person in line, you right. know. So I, I I can't imagine anything more unethical than that when there are so many human endeavors that are fulfilling that people could be involved in where crowding is not an issue. I think that the biggest, the, the on, on a personal level at least, is that both hunting and surfing are, they're such an intensely personal endeavors. And when it comes to surfing bigger waves, high stakes and personal endeavors. Like I will take some of the experiences that I've had at, at Mavericks as the top experiences of my life. Like if I were to die tomorrow, I would take that and be like, those that made me feel fucking human right there. And I think where it can get dangerous is being out there and and starting to make the experience impersonal, starting to make it be about getting the shot or impressing others yeah i just yeah, that's I get, what yeah. that's what you're speaking to is is, is just you know, le- less on on the practical sense or, or on the literal sense and more on i guess you could call it the spiritual sense how much self-reference do you have while you are immersed in this experience how well, much if you're, are you- fil- if you're filming it then there's a lot of self-reference isn't there right isn't it just like innate in what you're do you do you film a lot of yours and put it up put them up and stuff like that i do sometimes i mean sometimes i'll go on trips with a photographer i think that for me the i i think it's hard to to be black and white about it for me I mean, for me it's like don't don't blow up specific spots and show landmarks of places that are going to get crowded um and i think that it's also just about main trying to maintain a personal relationship with it but so there's 113 percent more surfers now is that what you said 
113% rise in surfboards. Okay. So let's just say that those people are using the surfboards. So then I w- what do you think if you had to guess? Let's say there wasn't surfing content on social media and I'd be a lot more productive. What what would be Take a, I know I'm asking you to like take a stab at something, but just for conversation's sake, what would have been the percentage then? Oh, I'm sure it would greatly decrease. Like you want like a 50% increase? Mm, I mean, who knows? I, I can't really speak to that. If but... you had to throw a number at it, you said, sure. let's, let's go, go for with 50%. 50. So, then you've contributed to increasing surfing pressure for everyone by 50%. Like what you do, people that have been doing it for decades and decades now have that don't have to film it. Don't have to take pictures of it. They just do it for the love of it. You've made them be 50%, you know, like more crowded. So I don't, I don't understand that again. I I'm not, you know, when we don't have to dwell on this much longer, cause it's an uncomfortable thing, but I just don't see the distinction, but, oh, you brought people to my secret wave and you brought people to all the waves in in a sense, in a sense, I can sympathize with a surfer that says, here's where I'm surfing. Here's the, where I am right now surfing, because at least he has to deal disproportionately with his impact. (laughs) Right. That's funny. That's it's, really funny. It's, it might be funny, but it's it's not. I'm not saying it in jest. You know, like why is it okay to blow up the person's spot in Oregon by attracting people to a saturated pastime, like an overcapacity pastime, like? But it's not it's not okay to bring them to where you are. You know, I don't I don't that it just seems like a distinction without a difference to me. But we can just leave it at that. I, well, and move I, on. I think that no, I mean I think I think you bring up good points for sure. I think that there are nuances within it that are worth underscoring as a surfer. Again, I can't. I can't comment with any authority on hunting, but as someone who has surfed his entire life, has also benefited from the surfing industry. As I said, I I surf for Patagonia, have for the last 13 years. Part of my job is to promote their products with photographers at Waves. And I've benefited hugely and disproportionately from that privilege right and oh yeah and there's been in in those companies and have have and they, and have, have, have degraded the experience of a lot of people absolutely like, but i will say that i think that there's a, a huge difference between and you may disagree with me but i think there's a huge difference between a company like patagonia that is very conscious of not naming places that are photographed in their catalogs. They give people the experience of being able to enjoy that photograph, but you don't actually know 
where that is. I think there's a huge difference between that and a company that is blowing up a specific spot and naming it on their Instagram story. I think a lot of people agree with you because a lot of people are, well, in hunting, are all about hunting media, all about bringing more people into hunting, but they don't like state naming and spot burning and stuff like that. I'm like, like we've already beat this. I, I just don't like when, when Randy Newberg makes a TV show or Steve Ranella makes it a, a TV show. Like they don't, people don't know where they're hunting elk, but it sure has an impact on other people and everybody's elk hunting. That's been doing it for as long as they have or longer than they have, but doing it purely for the love of it not to draw to themselves attention themselves and make money you know it has it it's like so yeah i i I see what you're saying i get your point and you're in the majority of the majority viewpoint on it i just don't see the 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 difference there's a couple interesting things like if i was a surfer and i was somebody that just didn't need the externalities, the extra benefits of fame and money, but just loved doing it, then it would be even harder to defend in surfing than in hunting. Because in hunting, these people can always make the case that, yeah, I'm bringing more people to hunting, but we need more hunters to protect our rights. But no, he's trying to take the way of the rights of surfers. And another thing they could say is, well, yeah, we need more hunters to defend or to finance conservation. But you don't get to make that argument in surfing either. It's just, in my view, that the media is making it less positive experience for people that do it for the love of it. And maybe have been doing it for longer than the starlets have, which, you know, is worth noting. For sure. I mean, we don't have the Pittman-Robertson Act. We don't have surfing tags. There's um, an anti-surfing movement. <laughs> there's no anti I mean, there are, uh, there definitely are, are certain people. But I do think that you, that uh, there are similar environmental impacts that surfing is facing as is hunting um surfing's equivalent is coastal erosion sewage plastic pollution and there are organizations like save the waves which is a really great environmental organization that helps to protect those ecosystems essentially from overdevelopment and the the range of issues that they face I don't think that you necessarily need, I agree with you, I don't think you necessarily need more surfers to be part of an organization like Save the Waves. To pit, to or, pit, like what they, what it, okay, so they pick up plastic and what else do they do? And they pr- help prevent development? Um, they do a number of things to essentially protect coastal ecosystems. Like in oh, any okay. is there's a really well-known wave down in Chile called Punta de Lobos. Um, it's a long left-hand point break in central southern chile um it's a really beautiful beautiful place cold water long wave and there was a hotel development proposed at the end of that 
point and save the waves came in worked with the community to essentially create a land trust at the point of Punta de Lobos so that it could exist in perpetuity without it being uh developed that's just one example um of the kind so of the, 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 the like surfing impassions people to preserve wild places is the kind of the the idea i think that similarly it's it's a gateway into the outdoors and it spurs certain thoughts and conversations that would otherwise not be happening for those people who are living their lives you know indoors and on screens yeah yeah I, all the hunting celebrities I know, they don't do they don't do hunting promotion because oh, I just want people to put their screen away and get out into the nature. They're all doing it to make money. You know, so I don't I can't say like I can just talk about people that I know personally that I know their motivations. I can't say in surfing or you know like. When you make content, maybe there's a part of you that says, this is what the world needs to see to create a cultural shift that saves the planet. And that I'm open to that, but I, my experience, it's influencers and celebrities in these endeavor in these sports are driven by money. That is what makes them do it. The ones I know that I can, that I know well, the second they stop getting their bread buttered by it. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be promoting it anymore. You know. Have you? I have a question. Uh, have you always been so interested in ethics? Well, I have an abiding interest in philosophy, and I have a inflamed sense of justice. Those are two traits that I have that are not there. Uh, there, I was born with them. So, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer the your yeah your question? What was your? I'm just curious about. It. I mean, I think that you have a, a. I like talking to you because I, I think that you have obviously a very unique perspective and you're willing to say unpopular things, you know, as I've said at the beginning, like the courage to be disliked. I'm, I'm, I think it's interesting. And I just I'm, don't really have much patience for people that go around like fanboy being fanboys for other people. Mm. I, I just, I don't, it's just like, if you want to dislike me, cause I don't like your hero or whatever. <laughs> oh no, it's just, if you go, how much respect am I going to have for somebody that drools over somebody else on their cell phone all day? Like, okay, yeah, you're mad at me because I don't like your hero, you know, or you're mad at me because I don't think you should try to emulate your hero. <laughs> I don't know. Plus, I just have a lot of love, man. Like, I have a lot of love coming at me. I have... A, I have friends, dear, dear friends that kind of, and their love for me and a family and their love for me 
is kind of insulates me from whatever some stranger thinks about me that's addicted to their cell phone. <laughs> you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Do you, do you feel like you've had that penchant for philosophy from a, a very young age? No, I can't say that that's the case. Um, I, it's been about, it, it was in my early thirties that I started and I started out doing a self-study on the philosophy of science because when you go, when you get a, when you get degrees from like land grant universities in, in science, it's very formulaic and rigid and there's reasons for that. And there's good ones like the education you get, but then as I started, it became a researcher. I was like, what happens when like peripheral edge cases, like where you're trying to figure something out and the the mode of inquiry that the modes of inquiry you've been told are the right ones aren't quite cutting it. Then what do you do? You know, so I started studying epistemology, which which is uh the study of knowledge, like what constitutes knowledge. Uh and and so that was in in epistemology and the in the philosophy of science go hand in hand. So early on it was just what con- what's the the what constitutes real knowledge and and um and the and uh the theories about how the scientific enterprise should work the methods of science and philosophers that have had something to say about things like that things like people like popper and quine and the logical positivists and then I, and then it just broadened out from there and i got in and I started studying more like classic uh, modern modern philosophers, like modern in the like philosophical sense, like people like Kant and Hume and and Descartes and 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 even the pre-Socratics and the Socratics, like just to get a more broad perspective on philosophy, not just as a as it has to do with epistemology, but with ethics and on ontology metaphysics etc so so one thing that we don't need to get into it but i'm just intensely curious about this your brother's obviously a very popular hunter i think is also very interested in philosophy um where do you feel like you agree with him on his philosophies around hunting and where does it differ i don't think that he's in a like anybody else that's in the public sphere in hunting is in any way in a position to say what they really think like they meat eater and they're not the only ones all of them all these platforms with their podcasts and everything they'll talk about anything under the sun but they won't talk about their impact they won't talk about the fact that, for example, draw odds are have been cut in half in what like your chances of drawing a tag have gone in Montana or Wyoming or Idaho or Colorado have plummeted 
And I think that's largely a consequence of them. They won't talk about that. Uh, I know people that have bought hunting land, leased hunting land as a consequence of hunting media. They tell me that through my chain, uh, through my platform and email and stuff. Well, there any, there's even TV programs devoted to doing just that. You watch the TV show and then they try to sell you the property they're hunting on or try to get you to lease the property they're hunting on. So I think that if if people like Steve are philosophically inclined, there's in a very attenuated sense uh, in public, I mean, they might have, they might be doing some kind of philosophical introspection in their head. But these are the dominant issues facing hunting today. Lack of access, crowding, inability to draw tags, period. It cannot be argued otherwise. The commodification of game, the increase in the price to hunt, the, the lack of places to go, the crowding to the detriment of wildlife crowding, all kinds of peer-reviewed evidence for that, that not just the animal you shoot, but the ones you don't are being severely impacted by crowding. I just read an article the other day, just came out in 2023, Journal of Wildlife Management about ptarmigan in Alaska and the number of breeding pairs near the roads up there now are at 50% of areas away from the roads. That's saying they cannot replace themselves because of the hunting pressure. And that doesn't get discussed by anybody but a few academics and me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Does that answer the question? I kind of got off track. Yeah, there, yeah it does. Can I ask a follow-up? It's just yeah. fascinating to me. Um, where do you feel you're most philosophically aligned with Steve regarding hunting? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, we're just so diabolically opposed. I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to make this about Steve. I'm trying, I, 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 there's nothing I would say about Steve. That I wouldn't say about any hunting personality. They've made it about making money and getting famous. For me, it's about, and, and when you have a camera behind you, have done that. It's not hunting. It's just, it's not. It, it's not hunting. It, it, the spiritual element is gone when you have a camera behind you. So I, I just, I don't, I, I, I just don't have patience for, for people that, that, that can't, that they have boundaries on what they can say. You know, I don't know, like the proof is in the pudding, you know, it's, it's, it's videos with logo gear and hashtags underneath them and bragging and making money. And that I, I repel against all that. I say I have the same impulses. I want to brag. You know, I could be a llama hunting influencer. I could do that easily, you know? Uh, so, yeah, when it comes, I'm just not philosophically aligned with people 
that have to that 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 where money and notoriety is in the mix as a part of the motivation. Hmm. That's interesting. I think it's terrible for wildlife. I think it's terrible for, I think it's, I'm concerned about the existing hunting community. And that includes you, Kyle. I'm I'm equally concerned for somebody that's been hunting 20 minutes or 20 years. And hunting media is not good in my view for the existing hunting community. Now, much of the existing hunting community, huge portion disagrees with me, but I just think they're wrong. I think that they're not seeing what's happening. Like that, the fact that you you don't have that people don't have nearly the number of places to go that their granddad and their dad has, has had. It's not all hunting media, but it's a lot of it's hunting media. Hmm. What would you say is like the the steel man argument of your brother's perspective? Like if you were to to give that opposite argument to someone who doesn't know it, what would okay. that argument? Be? Okay, so Steve is not a is Steve Steve is opposed to, is, is like he 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 equivocates, but last thing thing he told me on his podcast when I was on his podcast a couple of years ago is that if he was on the board of a hunting nonprofit, he would vote to do away with hunter recruitment. Okay. So Steve, Steve doesn't want more hunters either. So he must think and other people that more hunters is an unfortunate side effect of what they do. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an unintended sir, uh, unintended consequence. So now, okay, let, so let's just say more broadly. If I was going to steal man the argument of people that like hunting entertainment or like, hunting entertainment or or R3 or both, whose argument am I steal man in now? Let's see. Uh, yeah, give me a pers- like a the the specific specifically it would be um, hunting entertainment. Still, it's steel man hunting it, and 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 let's. I, I think that uh, there's a big difference between the kind of media that that your brother puts out versus just like very very insanely unethical like just the the grip and grin like i mean the the what what non-hunters would think of as the worst kind of hunting right like yeah. i think that there's even a range between that so so let's we're we're not talking about like we're talking the, about tasteful stuff we're talking about tasteful stuff we're not talking about like texas tall fence okay shit. Well, this is like, the tasteful stuff that's most damaging in my view the okay, more taste so- the more tasteful it is the more it makes People of means want to do it, and what do they do? They they take their they use their money to get the thing that's hardest to get, exclusive access. So the more tasteful it is, the more damaging it is, in my view. So, but let well, we can do that. What I'm um, gonna we'll make the case for tasteful hunting entertainment. 
I, I, uh, um, hunting is an ancient tradition and we're doing storytelling about this ancient tradition. So we're educating people about hunting and therefore we're making hunting more palatable to society so that we can maintain it and be, so that the public doesn't turn against us and then and also by bringing more people in the there's this excise tax tax with that when they buy their gun the money goes to this tax that then's used to fund conservation and uh and then when there's a vote to ban hunting there'll be more people that are positively aligned with hunting so they won't be able to ban it and we get conservation funded these are the, the these are the arguments that have been made for decades so but there's just so much evidence that all of that is not working i mean there, there was just a nssf report released six weeks ago you know that it's national shooting sports foundation you know that uh yeah okay so their latest report on attitudes american attitudes towards hunting fishing and shooting sports in there they have chronicled longitudinally since the early 90s americans approval of various activities like hunting related activities and there's been a there's been a four percent drop in the last two years in americans uh approval it's like went from 81 to 77 percent or something like a, approve of legal hunting so i, I guess if I was going to steal man that I'd be like, yeah, but just think how much it would have dropped if we didn't have tasteful media, but I'm a simple person. I just like to look at the thing and go like, to me, that's like, you guys are doing all this thing, all this stuff that's robbing the existing hunting community of opportunity, turning it into a rich man's game. And still the approvals going down in addition. So. I don't see, I see bad. I see no good. I see all mm -hmm. bad, no good. So can I keep asking questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it right that you are a biologist? Wildlife I'm going to, I'm going I'm to, well, okay. I'm a, I'm a biologist. I'm an ecologist. You can be an ecologist. You can be a biologist without being an ecologist, but you can't be an ecologist without being a biologist. So yeah, I am a biologist. Gotcha. I have lots of friends who are, who are ecologists. You're, you're the most fun to go on hikes with. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So I, growing up, I spent a lot of time um, in environmental activism, specifically coastal environmental activism, creating media about the influx of plastic pollution on our beaches, um, did a pretty popular project when I was in my early 20s where I try I I essentially created a campaign to get surfers to move their money out of Bank of America, which at the time was the largest funder of dirty power globally, and and got surfers to try and move their money into local banks and credit unions so that the banks would lend it, lend their money out 
within their community rather than having it get sucked halfway down the world to finance some coal power plant in Chile. So spent a lot of time. I also consider myself very philosophically inclined, reflect on the decisions I make. And and for this short little sliver of time that I'm here on planet Earth, do want to make it better. Um, I have you know, since, you know, I've, I've worked now, you know, kind of cobble it together with journalism. I also work as a copywriter in advertising. Some of the... You have a really cool uh, day-to-day, like you're using a lot of different parts of your brain. Oh, huge amount. Huge amount. I mean, today, yeah. I, today I was writing for this dating app company. I was like writing a... <laughs> you know, like literally today, I spent all day writing billboard ads what's your degree this, in is um i just have a, a a bachelor's standard bachelor's in in business but okay it was really through the podcast honestly that i've learned so much and um okay and just have fallen in love with with writing and tried to figure out a way to to use my mind and and be around creative people on a day-to-day but the point is that like i'm not always working for brands or or endeavoring into projects that I deem to be the most ethical. Similarly, I've, you know, since I've grown up, I've found, you know, people who have jobs that are incredibly um let, let's say pro-social, like good for the good for the earth, good for society, who are total assholes in their personal lives. Mm. And I've met people who I've become great friends with who work in let's say a, a line of of finance that is in one way or another sucking wealth out of the poor and middle class and consolidating wealth for the rich and they're great people they have wonderful senses of humor i love hanging with them and just like grabbing grabbing a beer and i have you know and and I I really want to know your perspective on this because I think it's incredibly nuanced and there are degrees of ethics and philosophy around how I spend how I want to spend my time and who I want to spend my time with and I've found that more and more sense of humor is more important to me than what the person does for a living how they make money just how they perceive the world, how they take life themselves, how they treat other people is kind of a guide for me on whether or not I want to spend time with them. So my question is, you know, for you being so philosophically minded, how much do you, I suppose, require the people you interact with to have jobs and and make money in a way that you philosophically align with. Oh, that's not a that's not a precondition at all. Like I don't I, even with the people that I'm railing against on a weekly basis. I don't I don't it's not the people that I struggle with. It's what they're doing that I struggle with. Now there's certainly there's people like, I'm not going to hang out with a child molester, obviously. Right. But, but the, I don't, I have 
no, I, 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 like I've, you know, I've definitely compromised some relationships, but I would have anybody that isn't hunting media that I know stay at my house. I'd go hunting with them. I, you know, I'd still that, that, that it's, it's needs to be separate. Like, do you ever see that cartoon? You know who Wiley Coyote is? Sure. So there's a cartoon where he's hanging out with a sheepdog. Or not hanging out, but the sheep, like, there's a sheepdog. And Wiley Coyote's trying to get the sheep. And every morning they go in and they clock in. And there's a, on the tree, there's a, like a time card reader. And they clock in and they're like, morning, Sam. Morning, Bill. and How'd you like have a good day? And then all day they battle each other. And then at the end of the day, after trying to kill each other all day, they clock out and well, have a good night, Sam, have a good night. I think that I want to be able to say what I, what I'm, what I believe, but I don't think any of these people that I'm railing against they're bad people. As a matter of fact, I think they're excellent people. And there's a part of me that has a lot of sympathy for them. I think that they're like the frog in the slowly warming water. They got into this thing. They, they didn't realize how damaging it would be. Maybe they still don't, you know, but to me, it's just become over time. In quite obvious that hunting for love and likes and money is negatively negatively impacting people that don't hunt for love and like some money. So you'd say part of yourself cares about them completely. I my care hasn't diminished in the in the slightest. So yeah, I, I'm glad you're asking these questions because it's it, to me it it's easy to see that the, there there's this the those things are connected, disconnected. But I could see where you would think that they are connected. No. I'm not, I don't, I'm, I don't dislike people that are in hunting media. Uh, I dislike hunting media. I think those people should go find something else to do for a living, but I would still pull their car out of a ditch, have them over for dinner, um, go on a hiking trip, go on a hunting trip. I'd ask that they leave the camera home. So. Does that give you a sense? Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's, I think it's really important to be able to have that kind of nuance. Personally speaking, I need to do a better job of articulating it, but that's where I come down. We have this thing called Hunters for Access that I was just telling you about. You know, I'm railing on hunting companies all the time. They do things that I just think are so awful. And in terms of like privatizing land and, and rewarding people that shoot 20 big game animals a year. And, but we're trying to build this hunters for access to like open up some access. And this winter, our group, there's 15 of us now, we are going to be calling these companies and asking for donations, you know, and they're going to be like, what? Because they had the same question you just had. How in the world could you rail on us like you do and then come 
ask us for money. I was like, because I don't have anything against you personally. A, I'm just railing about, I'm hating the sin, not the sinner. And two, don't you want to do something about access? The biggest problem we have? Yeah, I think it's the question that we need to be having in the country right now, honestly. Um, it wouldn't my, be a problem without hunting with if people, if, if we could do away, if we could reduce the hunting media, it wouldn't be a problem. Like well, I think I, of access as access work as a band aid. The real problem is hunting promotion, in my view. But I think the conversation that needs to be had is, is that we're having right now goes way beyond hunting or, or surfing. It's a question of kindness through opposing viewpoints and i've dealt mm, okay i mean and, gotcha. and the reason that i'm interested in your relationship with with your brother and the and the opposing viewpoints is because my mom I, in my view has fallen to a lot of conspiracy theories and has very much th there has been a, a kind of chasm in our um, view of what reality is, a view of what is happening in the world. That and it's very difficult for us to have a similar sense of base reality. Okay. And it's something that I've thought about really deeply because the most important thing for me is maintaining a loving relationship with my mom, despite what we believe about the world. And, and I've found that it's been a journey for me um, that that learning how to rem to be able to have those conversations and then put a stop to them and still be able to treat each other in a tone that is kind has really kind of saved my relationship. Um, and it's something that I'm really grateful for. You know, I don't want her to die and have me think that it was because of our views of politics or conspiracy that we couldn't be close. Mm -hmm. And I think that That's a cool. lot of people have one version of that in their lives. And I've, I'm, I'm the reason I'm interested in your experience with your brothers, because I have a very paralleled one with different family members and, and have been able to traverse it and navigate it in a way that allows us to still um, have a loving relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say with my mother, same that she's got a lot of crazy political viewpoints. So, yeah. So I don't know if this is helpful at all, but okay. So imagine this, the, the differences, I guess, is what makes it really tough for, I, I'm just going to be a little bit more forthcoming. Everybody that I know that's a hunting celebrity is involved with meat eater in some way. So I'm just to say, the meat eater people. Those relationships have been severely compromised. Uh, and one thing I'd say is that's their choice, not mine. Okay. But the other thing I'd say is I'd be asking a lot. It's pretty tough to hang out with somebody that wishes you didn't have a job right or yeah i guess not wishes you didn't have a job but wishes you had a different job so 
I, I have friends that are deeply religious and I'm, I'm quite secular. I have people that are far on the right and far on the left. I'm kind of a centrist, maybe a little bit to the left to center, but pretty centrist. I can navigate all that just fine. Like religious difference, differences, political differences. But I think it's, it's tough when the person that you want to have a relationship with, and I'm, I'm talking from their point of view, really has a problem with what you do for, to feed your kids. Well, so what's the difference between that and someone who's deeply religious? Oh yeah, because there's a point to be made that they that that's more important to people than what they do to feed their their family, right? It could be at that point. Well, I'm just wondering what the what the is it that hunting is so deeply important to you, and someone's religion maybe just does, like you don't have as much invested in that because from because for me, like uh, you know, you said you wouldn't be friends with a child molester, right? Like there are certain gradients of ethics depending on what we care about that will determine our relationships, right? Right. And something like child molesting is like, it's something that most people in society have determined, "I'm, I'm going to sever that relationship because of that action that that person is doing. But then there are gradients from there all the way to like someone littered once, or, you know, if, if you look at, I mean, a lot of the problems that I have with the, the current culture on the left is the willingness to ruin someone's career. Yeah. That shit's terrible. As, as a result of, of someone making a faux pas, right. Mm-hmm. Something that they, they didn't even intend to be hurtful has now destroyed them publicly. Yeah. It's so mean. It's very mean. And I think that the, that there's a, an important conversation to be had around um, around apology. I think there's an important conversation to be had around nuance and understanding. And and I I guess this might sound cliche, but like an important conversation to be had around un- unity. You know, yeah. because we're becoming a an increasingly atomized society. And yeah. I do think that we we need each other and need to figure out how to live with each other and ask each other questions and maintain curiosity as best we can despite our differences. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's a much more important thing than than hunting. It, you know, it's just human beings learning to look out for other human beings. One more stab at what I'm trying to say about myself, and then we could and then I'll stop being so like self-centric with, but again, the sheepdog and the coyote, I just want the ability to say what I believe, you know, like there's something in my, in, in, there's something in me that feels strongly enough about this stuff that I went, I took a podcasting course and started a podcast. There's something in me that cares enough about access that I co-founded a nonprofit. And now I'm spending 15 hours a week between the nonprofit and the podcast. 
I just, that's who I am, you know, and, and, and I don't, I'm not putting, I, 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 w- I wish I were still close with the, the, the meteor folks. I really do. And my brother and his family, I really, I wish we were, could still figure out just like not talk about it and be close, but this, th- this, uh, you be quiet about what you think, or we're not going to hang out. It just doesn't, that's not, I'm, I'm not gonna, that's not a game that I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't, I don't, it's an ultimatum that I, I don't like that kind of ultimatum. Like you mm-hmm. be somebody that you're not, or we're not going to hang out. So you want like a version of me that's not me, you know, and there's no bitterness yeah. about this. There's no bitterness at all about any of this. I understand where they're coming from. I'm not a lonely person. I, I, I there's no, I understand where they're coming from. It's a, just a tough thing. Cause I'm just, I feel compelled to speak out about some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the place that I got to with, with my mom and, um, I don't know how useful this will be for other people is that we can, we kind of decide beforehand, do we want to have a conversation about oh, this? Oh, that's interesting. And then one of us has the ability to pull the ripcord at any time that oh, we decide. She must, be that pretty, she must be pretty bright lady. Like She's she- incredibly smart. Oh, yeah. She's, she's very smart and very aware. And we've both that just, is so freaking cool. Well, you could put sideboards like this is how this is going to go if we're going to do this. Yeah, it's a, it's a sideboard in in uh, service of the relationship. Yeah, because we've both determined that our primary goal is to maintain a loving relationship for however long we have our time on Earth. Yeah, and the the content of the conversation is there are certain subjects that tend to rile us up and we can sometimes when we're both in a good mood navigate those conversations and then get out before it gets crazy and we and you know one of us needs to leave but i've really found that to be helpful um and many times we don't talk about those those things and we and we find th- subjects that we can connect on and our relationship has improved but just knowing i mean it really changed everything for us that just knowing that that each of us had the ability as a precondition to stop the conversation because the the depth was more important has done quite a lot for us that's interesting yeah yeah that's very interesting and and that accords with my experiences with people that I disagree with vehemently on religious grounds and, and, and political grounds that I, but that are my dearest, dearest friends. As I look out the window, one of my closest friends lives 200 yards from me. I gave him three acres. I had 10 acres and I gave him three of the acres and he built a house there and politically and religiously we are, could not be more different but we just you know we we know where each other stands we can talk about it but there's not much sense because we each know where the other one lies but there's just there's just so much 
even though those are incredibly important things to people, you can still find a shit ton of commonality outside of that. Amen. So what's your mom's craziest uh, idea or belief? Oh, I. Contrails. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a a conversation for a different time. Okay. okay. You're going to demure. I am writing a book about it and I'll come back what? on your, I am, I am you're writing demuring, but you're going to like write a whole book about You're writing a whole yeah, book about I'm, it. I'm demuring because I want to uh, deliver it after I've thought about it and, and can speak about it as, as fairly and eloquently as possible. But I promise I'll come back on in a year and we can go deep on it. Cause I think it's a, it's a conversation about philosophy, ethics, and love, which is, what this conversation was about, wasn't it? Yeah, it totally is. Totally is. Like I'm everything I'm doing is is based on love, man. It, everything I'm doing publicly is based on love. If I was interested if I was interested in myself, like I would be taking a very different course of action. Oh my god. So that's a great idea. How many articles have you, you know, you see where it's like advice about what, how to navigate Thanksgiving with the family. So you don't get in a fight and you are going to take a very detailed look at that. I'm gathering. Yeah. That That's a great, I want, I, I want you to do this. I want you to do this and then report back to me. That's your assignment. Oh, there's been a lot of, I mean, not in a couple of years, but we talked a lot up until two years ago, you know? So it's just, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, I could try again. I'm about to see my brother and his kids at our cabin, um, in Alaska next week. First time I've seen him since a year ago at our cabin. So I'll be waiting. Um, yeah. Oh, there's so much. To, there's so much more that I'm not really. Yeah, there's just limits to where I can go and talking about that stuff. And it's not what's motivating me. I'm not focused on him. I think, I think you're right there. Okay. So I think the tasteful stuff is the most damaging, but there are people that I'm more viscerally opposed to. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, man, we've, we've been going for a while. Yeah, this is great. This is great. This has been, this has been a wonderful, yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And I hope we stay in touch. I would love to. Yeah. Will you let me know your plan? When you figure it out for coming to Montana, I sh I sure will. Yeah, there's a chance. There's always a chance I'll be over that way. Because, like I say, my wife lives there. So let's do it. That sounds okay. like a total blast. Yeah, okay. I enjoyed it, man. This is a fun conversation, and uh, let's let's stay in touch. And for anyone who wants to hear more of me yammer on, you can check out my podcast. Um, what's it called? called the Kyle Tierman show and okay. uh, it's on just go to tierman.substack.com 
Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, read my articles, listen to my podcast, and uh, reach out. Would love to hear from anyone. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, great talking to you. Great talking to you, Matt. Bye.